welcome to A Word on Wealth, a Stevens Wealth Management Group podcast focused on topics of interest to business owners, as well as couples and individuals on the glide path to or in early retirement. We discuss topics of interest to you and hope to bring clarity to financial concepts and strategies that impact you in your everyday life. Without further ado, here is today's host. Hello and welcome to A Word on Wealth, the podcast. My name is Jill Carr and I'm a wealth advisor with Stevens Wealth Management Group. Today, I am speaking with the newest member of our team, Doug Marlowe, the Director of Financial Planning. And we're discussing how tax planning can fit into your investment slash financial picture. Doug, welcome. Do you want to say a few words about yourself? Thanks, Jill. Great to be here. Really happy and excited to get to know our clients even better. Great. A note, Doug has about a zillion letters after his name. Check out his bio on the website for more information on that. He knows his stuff. This podcast will be a little bit different in that I'm going to be sharing some tax jokes. I know everyone's super excited about that. But Doug, did you ever notice that when you put the words the and IRS together, it spells theirs? Awesome. Out, <laughs> out, out of the gate with the dad jokes. This yes. is going to be fun. All right, here we go. All right, I'll save so my. I'll save mine for later. Excellent. One of the big terms that has been tossed around by seriously everyone and their brother this year is a Roth conversion. For example, my friend who has an account with a different advisor received a call from his advisor wanting him to do a Roth conversion, and. That advisor gave no real context other than the fact that markets are down. This is one of the things we can do this year is take advantage of this. But this friend is 43. He's in a middle tax bracket. There's no reason to believe that he's going to be in a huge bracket later. And he doesn't like paying any taxes. When I explained to him that he can't withhold tax from the actual conversion because that would count in a penalty situation, he was annoyed. (laughs) Doug, who does a Roth conversion make sense for? And I know you're going to say it depends. Well, okay. I won't say it depends. Interestingly enough, Roth conversions are all the rage in 2022. And as you said, like the down market has been a big driver of that. On the surface, it sounds like a great idea, right? Pay taxes today on the assets that you're investing. Let them accrete in value without any annual tax drag. And after five years or age 59 and a half or some of the other exceptions that are part of the Roth IRA, you then get to withdraw all of that money tax-free because you paid income taxes on the original investment amount, in your friend's case, at the 24% on the way in. But in your example, if the household income is in that 24% tax bracket. Would they generally be between 178,000 and 340,000 of adjusted gross income? Even if they generated less than that and they were in the 22% tax bracket, they were generating between 83 dollars and $178,000 of income. The math simply doesn't support the amount of time in a lot of cases it would, it would take to break even. Now, everyone's circumstances are unique and they deserve the individual analysis. I promised you I wouldn't say it depends, but it is largely dependent on. Ooh, good way to get around it. <laughs> right? That individual analysis that should be done. But honestly, the, 
even in your friend's case, the difference between him paying 22% income tax on it or 24% income tax on it, there's so little additional value in in that change that it it doesn't really make sense. And especially for, you know, when, when we talk about, in your case, your client's 43 years old, if this client was closer to retirement age, we'd also want to take into account how much money they're receiving and what that would do to their social security income and whether or not it would make that income taxable and what it might do to their Medicare premiums on those conversion amounts. So there are a lot of things to consider. And that's why before we do any of these things, we do the analysis and we don't just make the blanket statement to convert. Right. Hey, Doug, which superhero pays no tax? It's Spider-Man. Dad, dad joke number two. All his go. income is net. <laughs> oh, 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 that's so, awful. I know. They just, I don't know that they get better, but they're funny for me. One of the other ways that your investments can impact your taxes is tax location. So on a very high level, I just want to mention the three main types of accounts and how taxes are impacted by this. In certain accounts, like taxable accounts, non-qualified annuities. You pay some tax now and you pay some tax later. Second type of account would be a pre-tax retirement account, an IRA, 401k, some qualified annuities where you pay no tax now and you pay all the tax later. And then finally, like the Roth stuff we just mentioned, you pay all the tax now and none later. Do you want to talk a little bit more about this? Sure. You know, if if we knew what the future held for us, this would be a lot easier discussion. But because we have our friends in Washington, D.C. who are constantly revamping the way these things look, we just don't know what's going to happen in the future. So one of the beauties of a well-crafted plan is that it considers asset location in a similar vein to asset allocation. As you know, asset allocation is the process of spreading out your investment dollars into different areas so you can control the risks of holding too much of any one thing. Well, asset location does the same thing by creating diversification in the way that your investments are taxed. So the location diversification creates options for folks as they think about which assets to spend to support their current and future goals. But the challenge for most investors is in figuring out how much is enough. And when it comes to asset allocation, I need, and how does the tax drag of asset location impact me? There are just so many areas that are open. I'll just give you a brief example. You mentioned one of the areas being what we call taxable assets. So that first one where we you know, pay some taxes now and some taxes later. When we look at people's tax returns or tax situations, there are generally seven areas that we want to review as we go through that process. Have they sold any real estate? Have they sold a business? Do they receive deferred compensation? Is there an inheritance involved? Have they received insurance payouts from anywhere? Are there trust accounts? And then what are the other taxable current currently taxable accounts. And that's just the sources of taxable assets that can show up in a tax return or in somebody's financial situation that we're going to want to analyze before we make any kind of recommendations as to how that location can be adjusted. Okay, great. 
Hey, Doug, what's the difference between a fine and a tax? A fine is a tax for doing wrong, and a tax is a fine for doing well. One of the ways that your income affects your taxes is the amount of Medicare premiums you pay. You kind of alluded to this before, as this podcast is geared primarily towards people who are in retirement or on the path to retirement. Can you talk a little bit about how those Medicare premiums are calculated. Obviously, it's it's a complicated thing depending on your income, but just kind of at a high level, can you tell us? One of, one of the things we know about the federal government is they use what we call the federal finagle factor. They're, they're constantly changing these numbers to, to, to make things. But in 2022, your income and for Medicare premiums, it's always two years ago. So it's always based upon what your tax return showed two years ago. For this year, in 2022, it's based upon your 2020 income. And if you file the joint tax return in 2020, that showed $182,000 or less, then your Medicare premium for 2022 is $170. But if it was more than that, between $182,000 and $228,000, let's just say, then your premium jumps by another almost $60 to $238. And where it really catches up to people is later on after you cross around the $285,000 threshold and it becomes $442 per month. That's when you know, we really want to be looking at things and saying, do we want to have that kind of income and how can we better place things? And that's where going back to our earlier discussions about Roth conversions and taking that into account, right? How does that impact what might happen to somebody's Medicare premiums down the road? These are all things that we have to consider as we're thinking through what goes on and being comprehensive in our financial plan. Right. It's not just about what income tax you're going to pay on any kind of income, but potentially it affects this Medicare premium as well. You know, the more your income is, the more you end up. Yes. And these premium premium brackets don't align with the income tax brackets. They're totally separate. Right. So they catch you like kind of in the middle of some of the income tax brackets. And it's just something that we have to really make sure we consider as part of what we're doing and have that discussion with our clients. All right. Okay. I need to find another joke here. Why did Sherlock Holmes get audited by the IRS? Oh, uh, go he ahead. Had too many deductions. <laughs> oh, oh I know, man. Crazy. Yeah. When you said they weren't going to get better. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Yes. So one of my pet peeves is when financial advisors do something without checking the tax consequences of that action. Can you talk a little bit about this just in general, about how financial planning and, and taxes are kind of related? Sure. You know, we've been we've been kind of alluding to it throughout the conversation, but I truly believe that what you're saying strikes at the core of the difference between what most people purport to be financial planning and the truly comprehensive pro- approach that we take when creating and implementing plans for our clients. You know, in many firms, the financial advisor is expected to help clients by defining their goals and dreams. And that same person is also supposed to be the client's investment, tax, business, and estate planning expert. And that's just a lot of hats to wear. Each of those areas, you know, as you've talked about in your previous 
podcasts are very nuanced. So the upstream and downstream impacts to a person's financial life are immense when they're uncoordinated and improperly implemented. With my role now in Stevens Wealth Management being firmly established, we really can rely on the relevant expertise that each of us brings to help our clients based on their family dynamics, strive to fulfill their needs, wants, and wishes for their money, wealth, and estate planning. And it's just really taking a look at all of these areas and making sure, Jill, that we're able to pull off the analysis the way it needs to be done and consider all of the different areas and making sure that we've looked at it and we've analyzed it. I think it's really important that we don't just do something you know, and it goes beyond checking just the tax consequences. It goes beyond, it goes to checking all of the upstream and downstream consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Okay. I have two more jokes. The next one is Father O'Malley answers the phone and says, hello, this is Father O'Malley. And he says, it is. So then the caller says, this is the IRS. Can you help us? Do you know a Ted Houlihan? Father O'Malley says, yes, I do. He's a member of our congregation. Oh, great. Did he donate $10,000 to your church? Father O'Malley says he will. (laughs) Let's talk donations. Another area where your investments can affect your taxes is if you are charitably inclined. Doug, can you talk at a high level kind of some of these options? Sure. I love that joke. That's that's one of my actual favorite jokes for, for a long time. Really? Kind of glad kind of <laughs> glad you brought that one up. Yeah. But right. one of the greatest thrills we get as advisors is not only in the helping and watching them do well, but it's also in watching and helping them do good. And what I mean by this is so many of our clients have the good fortune and Sometimes it's due to their family dynamics, but they're very passionate about the support they provide to other organizations. Our clients recognize that charitable giving is not just about the making of the donation, but it's about making a difference. And a recent study concluded that 96% of charitable donations are made to those organizations that clients believe align with their values. One of the questions we most often get is around how should I give, donate, or support in the best way for my circumstances? We could, and maybe we should, do an entire podcast on developing a philanthropic plan around giving that's in line with our clients' values and wealth transfer objectives. That's that's for another day. But for today, let's just mention a few ways and give a brief attribute give a brief overview of some of the attributes of of some of the different ways. And again, remember, we're not recommending any one strategy over another in this podcast because each of the strategies has potential positives and negatives that should be carefully considered before we implement. But we can do things like giving appreciated securities. So if there's a huge amount of capital, embedded capital gains, those things can be given and we can avoid the taxes on those things and you know, it's it's just a great way. Bunching of charitable gifts. If you're charitably charitably inclined, but don't have sufficient itemized deductions in a particularly in a particular year, bunch them. Save them for next year, or do a whole bunch of them this year, and then don't do any next year, and then do them again in the, you know a couple of years later. Another way is a donor advised fund, and, and that's a great strategy where you get to claim an immediate tax deduction and make the grants in future years. There's philanthropy through required minimum distributions for people over seventy and a half that are charitably inclined. 
they can do what's called a qualified charitable distribution, and they can transfer generally up to $100,000 a year from their IRA directly to a charity. Now, there are some exceptions to all of these rules that we would want to go through with our clients, but you know th- that's just a couple. And then there's the more sophisticated things where we talk about qualified terminal interest property trusts, also known as a Q-tip trust, not the kind you stick in your ear. Uh, <laughs> there are GRATs, there are, which is a grant or retained annuity trust. There are all kinds of other strategies that are important, but mostly we have to consider how current tax law impacts that charitable giving and the estate plan. As I mentioned earlier, we could spend several hours on this topic. It's just something that we do now as part of automatically the comprehensive planning that we're doing for our clients. You know, it's a great new ad that we're able to do for folks. Right. Oh, and there definitely will be a future podcast about that. Stay tuned. <laughs> okay. One last joke. A nervous taxpayer was unhappily conversing with the IRS auditor who had come to review his records. At one point, the auditor said, we feel it is a great privilege to be allowed to live and work in the USA. As a citizen, you have an obligation to pay taxes, and we expect you to eagerly pay them with a smile. Thank goodness, returned the taxpayer. I thought you were going to want cash. Oh. Uh, waka waka, it's, as Fozzie Berry used to say. <laughs> gets to pay them with a smile. Right. <laughs> Okay, so the last thing I wanted to mention here is that taxes are not the only consideration of investments. Earlier this year, I had an actual conversation with an actual client where she was sort of complaining that we made her too much money last year and she had to pay more in taxes because of it. And that is the never-ending catch-22 that I always hear from people. People want to make money, don't pay any taxes, and it rarely works that way. Doug, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, and I think I have to preempt one of your jokes here. You know, I think to your point about the difference between death and taxes is the fact that Congress doesn't meet every year to make death worse. <laughs> you know, through the years, I too have had similar conversations about not wanting to pay taxes on money that was made during investing. And I certainly don't want to get into a philosophical debate over good and bad taxes, whether the tax rates are appropriate. That's all part of our representative form of government and whatever you believe. Yeah, that's why we have to choose our representatives carefully at the ballot box. That being said, my counsel in a financial planning sense is to not let the tail, taxes in this case, wag the dog of your overall plan. I've seen people make the mistake of holding an asset too long and the market taking away their profits. Think about the first six or eight months of this year, right? And of course, that's one way to reduce the tax bill or not or to not even have to pay taxes. I've seen people make sacrifices in their personal life on doing things that could have tremendous general generational impacts and never sell an asset to avoid paying taxes on it. And then they die with the assets still in their portfolio. Well, I guess dying is another way not to pay taxes, but you know. <laughs> I don't know. They still get you at the end to plan properly. Yeah, well, well, they don't get you. They get your estate, <laughs> right, right? right? You know, but capital gains historically in the United States have been taxed at a lower rate versus income, because what it does is it inspires investment, research, and risk taking. 
It's why stocks also come with what we call an inherent risk premium, an expected return over a risk-free rate of lending money to the federal government through bond purchases, which are generally taxed at a higher income tax rate, right? The longer you hold stocks, the more of that risk premium you get paid in the form of capital appreciation and sometimes dividends. But that's how you do collectively good by doing well. The bottom line is you should never, ever, ever want less income to pay less taxes. Exactly. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. So, Doug, thank you so much for being here and discussing taxes with us. And I'm sure I'll have you on the podcast again for more exciting things and more jokes. Thanks, Jill. Great to be here. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think I'll have to write some jokes for the next one if I get the opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And for more tools and resources on how to think about and make smart financial decisions, or to learn more about our financial advisors, please go to stevenswmg.com. That is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-W-M-G.com. This show is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment, tax, legal, or other decisions.